Well, I'd like to welcome all of you to the sixth and final part of this series where we've been unpacking some of the hard sayings of Jesus and also give a special welcome to all of you who are watching or listening online. It's great uh, that you've looked us up and I hope and pray that this message and this time together is a blessing to all of you as well. Well, um, this has been really an interesting time in American politics, don't you think? Um, Man, what a week that we just went through when it comes to Washington, D.C., and all that's going on there. And because I know that this is already on the hearts and minds of many of you, I thought I'd use a little bit of my time this morning um, to give you um, my opinions about the impeachment hearings and who I think is right and who I think is wrong. So what do you think about that? You ready for that? As some of you have heart palpitations and are like, no, don't do that. You know, the truth of the matter is, is I I would not touch that with a thousand million foot pole. And when it comes to opinions about politics and things like this, um, it's really not, of course, the place of the church or the job of the pastor to kind of sort all of this out for all of you, like an impeachment hearing like that. But so you can breathe now and know that I'm not going to talk about it. But I am going to comment just on the whole thing. I I do believe as a student of of culture, it's been a very interesting um, study in people, huh? And it's so interesting to see how people, good people, on both sides of this topic feel very, very differently, not only about what happened, but in some ways even more importantly about why it happened. And both sides of this, good people on both sides, are absolutely confident and absolutely sure that how they feel about it is the right way And even, you know, when you watch the news, depending on which news you watch, there's never even hardly any allowance for maybe I don't have all my ducks in a row and maybe I don't understand every little aspect of this, but instead just come off as being absolutely right. And one of the things that's been really hard about all of this is that it's not just a discussion of what, right? We know in some ways what was said, right? In it's not just a matter of what, it's, it's a matter of why. That's really at the heart of the question for a lot of what they've been talking about. Not the, not the action, but the reason behind it, the motivation, the why. And here's my sort of study of culture and of life, and that's this. I, I think there's something real about that in all of our lives, that a person's what really is always conditioned by their why. Isn't it? I mean, you can have two people doing the exact same thing, and one, it be good, selfless type of action, the other person being not so good because it's a selfish thing. They're trying to get something out of it, right? A person's what is always conditioned by their why, not just impeachment hearings, but for every single person in every season of life. And so I don't know if we spend enough time just to stop to think about that question for us now personally. Not just the what of life, but the why behind it. Because it's in the why that we find the motivation. It's in the why that we find the passion. It's in the why that we find the bigger picture, in many ways the more important picture. And today, in our last hard saying of Jesus for this series, 
the, the hard saying is going to force us to be confronted with what I would say is the most important question a person could ever ask, or at least a form of the most important question. It's a why question, and it's your first fill-in. Why should you follow Jesus? Why should I follow his direction? Why should I follow his plan for my life? Why should I be here on a Sunday morning when I could be home, you know, sleeping a little bit more, getting some work done? Why should you follow Jesus? And for those of you who have been following Jesus all of your life and have been blessed with maybe a a Christian home growing up and you've called yourself a Christian for as long as you can remember, I think this message is really important for you in this section from Jesus' teaching because it is going to force us to think once again about the purpose of why we do what we do, and it's going to recenter you when it comes to faith and maybe what God's up to in your life. And for those of you who are brand new to church, maybe, or it's your first or second time, or, or just you're the person that's actually asking that question. I'm not sure I want to follow Jesus, but why should I do it? Let me tell you, this section from Jesus is going to give you realistic expectations as to what you can expect from Jesus in following him and being a Christian with the Holy Spirit's help and also what you shouldn't expect. So over the course of this series, we've been exclusively in the biography of Jesus written by Matthew. Today, I am being a rebel and I'm going away from Matthew and we're going to go to the biography written by John. Now, John also, like Matthew, was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Um, he happened to be called um, to follow Jesus um, in his uh, 20s. He was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, Jesus just, in, in a good way, wrecked his life. He saw this, this person, he, he heard Jesus' call to follow, and, and he knew something was different about Jesus. He, he thought he was the Messiah, and we know that he was, and John was someone who understood what it meant to follow. And in fact, not only did he follow, not only did he write part of Scripture, but he, truthfully, was one of the most influential Christians and pastors in the first century as the the Roman government tried to extinguish Christianity right after Jesus' resurrection. Well, today what we're going to look at is uh, a couple things that he writes about in the sixth chapter of his biography of Jesus. And I have a few verses for you listed in your service handout, but I'm going to be upfront with you that our message is really based more than just on those verses. It's based on the whole flow of the entire chapter. So let me tell you what happened at the beginning of the chapter. At the beginning of chapter six, John writes about what's probably the most famous, or at least in the top three, most famous miracles that Jesus ever performed. Here's what was going on. Jesus had a big crowd surrounding him as he usually did. They, it says in John 6, were interested in seeing him do miracles and they also really enjoyed his preaching, right? And so as they're all gathered around him, it's beginning to become the time for dinner. And he knows that people are getting hungry. This was a large crowd. John tells us it was 5,000 men, not including women and children. So conservatively speaking, we're talking about 15,000 people, conservatively. We're talking about a group the size of a small town. And everyone, Jesus observes, 
is going to get hungry real soon. So he tells the disciples to go and see what they can do about it. They go around looking for food, collecting food, and what they come back with were five loaves of bread and two fish, which would be a nice snack for the 12 disciples, but is not going to even put a dent into dinner for 15,000 people. But Jesus isn't worried. And he sends out the 12 disciples. And I've always wondered how exactly this worked. Like, were they in, did they have a basket and they just weren't looking, but they just kept reaching in and there was still food in there? Or did they see the food appear in the bottom of the basket? Or did they just put out their hands and food? I don't know how it happened, but with those five loaves of bread and two fish, the entire 15,000 plus group of people all were fed until they were full. And there was so much food that the disciples then were sent out to collect the leftovers, and there was 12 basketfuls of leftovers after starting with five loaves of bread and two fish. This was an amazing miracle that caught everyone's attention. And I'll tell you this, when you read through the biographies of Jesus, what you'll find is this moment, this moment of feeding 5,000 was the height of Jesus' earthly popularity. There was no point in his ministry that he was more popular by more people than at this moment as he just got done feeding 5,000 people. People were excited to follow someone who could give sight to the blind and could give hearing to the deaf and could heal skin diseases like leprosy. And man, he's a good guy to uh, put on your uh, wedding guest list because sometimes he'll even turn water into wine, right? And he cast out demons. And now when you're around him, you get free food. Remember, agricultural um, culture at the time. People understood the work it takes to get food. We don't. We just go to the grocery store and buy it. They understood how hard it is to get food. And when you hung around with Jesus, he fed you when you're hungry. Here's what it says. It says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king, an earthly king, I'll say a bread king, King by force withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Height of his popularity. People are ready to make him their ruler and their king. No more Roman guard, okay? We're following Jesus and he's going to help us. But Jesus knew that their opinion of what he was here to do was different than reality. And so first of all, he withdraws like he often did for prayer and quiet time with his heavenly father. By the way, good thing for us to do when things get busy or even when they're not, to withdraw and to spend time, quiet time with the Lord in prayer and, and, uh, and Bible study. That, that evening later, either as everyone was sleeping or as things were quiet, the disciples ended up leaving where they were along the Sea of Galilee. They got in a boat and traveled or sailed to the other side. Um, Jesus came a little bit later, except he walked um, on the water. (laughs) Read through John chapter 6. This was his walking on the water uh, situation that John records. But in the morning, everyone wakes up. They're so excited to make Jesus the king. And for most people, when you've got that kind of a throng around you, that kind of an excitement around you, you're going to stick around and enjoy the spoils of people liking you. 
and wanting you to be their king. Jesus knew it was all messed up, their motivation, and so he leaves. They wake up, he's gone. They're searching for, where did, where did Jesus go? His, the boat's gone. They track him down. Verse 25 of that same chapter, uh, when they found him on the other side of the lake, this is the day after the feeding of the 5,000, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They're so interested in, in, in sticking around with him and in, in having him be there again, bread king. Next verse. Now things begin to change. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you got something that you wanted. You, you ate the loaves and had your fill, verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils. Do not prioritize the blessings that I can give you for this life. Do not put all your focus on food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, for blessings that last into eternity, which I, the Son of Man, will give you. And in this hard statement, this isn't the hardest one yet, we're going to get there, but in this difficult statement for those people to hear, Jesus is making it really clear that when it comes to following Jesus, God will always prioritize heavenly eternal gifts over temporal, temporary ones. He sees life and he sees his blessings and he sees two buckets. There is the temporal, the things of this life, and there is the eternal. And I, I want to pause here. I told you I'm going to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. And, and I want to tell you that you have a, an awesome God who cares about both of these things. Let me prove it to you. Jesus was preaching and doing miracles, right? And there's a crowd of people numbering at least 15,000 most likely, and they're all hungry. What does Jesus do? So he say, hey, um, I know you're hungry, but someday you're going to enjoy heaven. For now, starve. Isn't it interesting? He sees people in need, physically speaking, not the most important thing, but it's important when you're hungry, and he does a miracle to feed them. He sees people who have leprosy, skin disease, who can't spend time with their family because they've been isolated to a leper colony. And he changes their earthly life by giving them their health back. And when you read through the biographies of Jesus, you see that oftentimes before Jesus did a miracle, there's this phrase, Jesus had compassion on them. I want you to know the heart of your Lord. Eternal blessings are more important than temporal. But God gives us both. He takes care of us just like he took care of those 5,000 plus people. One time Jesus was preaching. He said, don't worry about what you eat or drink or about what you'll wear. Don't you see how the lilies of the field are dressed? And they don't make clothes. Don't you see how the birds eat? And they don't collect food. If I take care of them, won't I also take care of you? You have little faith, you who doubt me. You have an amazing 
God who cares about the temporal things, challenges you're going through, and wants to bless you. He promises that you won't truly go hungry, but he'll take care of you either by providing a job or providing people around you to take care of you. He promises that in him, you have the power to break whatever addiction it is that you're struggling with right now. And he wants to help you with that. You want your family to be more united? Jesus has power to do that. You want your marriage to be better? It's not going to be easy, but Jesus cares about that too. But here's the warning. And here's what the people 2,000 years ago needed to understand, that we should not, next fill in, don't allow the temporary wishes that you have to blind you from eternal gifts. Don't allow the temporary blessings and wishes that you're looking for to blind you from the amazing eternal gifts that God has given you. And that's what was happening to this group. Um, They saw Jesus as a miracle worker who was healing people, casting out demons, giving them food, making wine at weddings. And they began to view Jesus this way. We've talked about this phraseology before, but it's good to bring up again. They started to view him as their cosmic vending machine. And as long as I'm with Jesus and I press A5, you know, that which what I want will fall out and be given to me. That following Jesus means that I get what I want. And that, as you know, is just not true. You see, we we fall into this as well, don't we? That like, some way we think that if we go to church on Sunday morning, that our week should be better from the perspective, not emotionally, because it will, likely, and spiritually, because it will, likely, but from the perspective of whether it's getting that last parking spot or having, you know, that job offer that you're going for be offered to you, you know, that I just need to go to church every week and then things are going to be better. In many ways, we find ourselves treating God like a cosmic vending machine. And here's the challenge. When we follow Jesus that way, when we don't get what's in A5, all of a sudden, we're confronted with the possibility that God doesn't love us or care about us because he didn't give us that which we asked for. And Jesus is beginning to get these people to think who wanted the easy life, who wanted food at their beck and call, who wanted a king to kick out the Romans. We talk about that a lot in this time frame of Bible history. He wants them to understand to not allow their temporary wishes to blind them from the bigger picture, from eternal gifts. And he doesn't want that to happen to you as either. either. He has not promised an easy life in following him. But he has given us promises. It gets a little bit weirder, I'll be honest, when it comes to this section. Verse 35 says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, Jesus, I I thought you offered bread. Now you are the bread, whole wheat, white bread. Does it come with a slice of ghost pepper cheese? You know, like, what is going on with, with all this bread talk? What are you talking about? Well, he continues, and it, this, is, this is our hard saying for the week. This is the section that was the hardest for people to understand. Next verse. 
He says, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Next verse. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Now understand, communion, the Lord's Supper, a lot of you are thinking about that. This hasn't been instituted yet. So when the people are hearing, eat my flesh, drink my blood, I am bread, like, their whole world is getting derailed because they got up in the morning wondering where Jesus was and now they're wondering why they're around him as he's talking about eating him. So what's he talking about? What's the analogy here? Because it's a good one. You know, in fact, I really think that the crux of it becomes a little difficult 2,000 years later and here's why. We have so much. So even up to a century and a half ago or so, For most people, it was a good day if you had bread for the next day. It was a a great existence if you had a warm house and you had food every day. And most of the time, especially in a bad winter or a bad crop year season, that shows you I'm not a farmer. I just said crop season. I don't know what I'm talking about. But here's what I'm saying is that it was a good day and a a good existence to have bread. We live in a time where we just take bread for granted. Most of us, maybe not all of us, most of us have never wondered whether we're going to have food today or tomorrow. We wonder when we're going to get the newest phone, even though the one we have works just fine. Or the newest car, even though the one we're driving is just fine. What Jesus is saying limps a little bit because back in the day, if you had bread, it was enough. Jesus says, I am the bread of life because our next villain, Jesus, he's enough. Not in what he gives from the perspective of exactly what I want, but just being in relationship with him. When he's your center, when he's your bread that you eat, when he's the water that you drink, when he's your center, it will be enough. Jesus is what we need. He knows you better than anyone else on the planet, including yourself. He knows exactly what you need. He knows how to best take care of you. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. The problem is, some of us have held on so tightly to the vision that we had for what our life would look like and how our family would be and where we would live and what would be in the bank. And it's all right to have goals. I'm not saying that. Please hear me. But we've held on so tightly to the vision that we had that it's been really, really hard to be happy and to see the blessings that God gives. If you've ever been in a car, you've seen this. Do you know what it's for? Actually, not safety. 
what it's really for, they put them in there to help people get in and out of the car. That's, I didn't know that until I Googled it. But what I thought it was for is for parents when their 15-year-old is learning to drive. That's when I've used it the most. And it doesn't matter what 15-year-old. I'm sure my dad did the same thing when I was learning to drive. But when your 15-year-old is driving for the first time, you hold on to anything and everything that's near you. And it doesn't do any good, but you hold on. And when the 15-year-old's at the wheel, I don't care again which 15-year-old it is, the parent for that very first time especially, there, there could be, you know, like a, a comet going through the sky and we would not look because we're not enjoying the ride. We're just hoping to survive the ride, right? It doesn't matter what's going on and you do not enjoy the journey because you don't trust the driver. Carrie Underwood had a song, huh? Jesus, take the wheel. In this illustration, I want you to know that there isn't a 15-year-old driving your car. But what God is saying as the staple of your life, the bread and the water, that Jesus is driving the car. And why are we white-knuckling it? Why are we holding on, thinking that we can control anything, much less being scared or disappointed or discontented? Why are we holding on so tightly? When God himself is driving, let go. And enjoy the ride because there's amazing things and amazing blessings when you just open your eyes and look. In this moment, Jesus is giving these people some bad news first. I'm not going to give you everything you want, I'm not going to be your bread king. Life is sometimes going to be difficult, and that's not because I don't love you. It's because life is, this world is filled with sin. But he's also giving them the encouragement, I am the only thing you need. And with me, you're going to have a blessed life. With me, whatever mountain is in front of you, I will help you get through it. You see, I'm enough for whatever it is you're facing. That guilt that you're holding, I'm enough and I'm going to prove it to you in just a few weeks when I die on the cross and rise again. That fear you have about death, I'm enough because it doesn't depend on you. When you follow me, I give you heaven and I give you forgiveness. Jesus is enough. So quit holding on so tight. He ends this section with an opportunity for us to think about what's next. Here's how it goes. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. (laughs) Yeah, I guess, right? And believe me, Jesus didn't have the same type of commentary that we just went through. I mean, you had me at drink your blood and eat your flesh. Yeah, it's hard. Who can accept it? Next verse. From this time, many of his disciples, this is not the 12 referred to, but anyone who followed Jesus, was that was a term disciple for someone who followed many of those people, turned back and no longer followed him. The feeding of the 5,000 was the height of Jesus' popularity. 
And what transpired, this bread of life talk, was the beginning of the people around him wanting him dead. Because he did not offer what they were looking for. And so many began to turn away and to turn back. And eventually this would culminate with the the crowds, many of them that day that wanted to make him their king, now standing in Jerusalem calling for him to be killed because they were disappointed in him. But then Jesus gets really, really personal. Verse 67 says, what about you, my closest 12? How about you? Do you want to leave? How about you? Have you ever wanted to leave? Maybe not totally, but if you ever had it in your mind, I don't know about this whole following Jesus thing. I'm doing all the stuff. I'm checking all the boxes, but yet my dad died or my mom's sick or I didn't get the job or I lost the job or I didn't get into the school. You don't want to leave too, do you? Good old Peter. Sometimes he says things you wish he could take back, and sometimes he says good things. This is a good moment. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, Peter in that moment was confronted with the alternative. I mean, I'm not liking the direction Jesus is going with all this. I mean, I, I would rather this is Peter speaking, have more earthly power and for Jesus to be the king and that'd be kind of fun. I don't like what he's saying. I don't even fully get it. But do I want to stay? Lord, where am I going to go? Because you have what I need. Let me illustrate that this way as we close. Um, there's probably a time in a lot of our lives, um, or some of ours, at least when we were a kid, and um, we thought about wanting to run, run away from home. And not because of some serious reason. I'm not talking, this is a lighter conversation. Because some of us maybe had situations where we should have run away from home, maybe because it was not a good situation. I'm talking about situations like, they always blame me for things my sister does, or they're so mean, or they don't give me enough screen time, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, that's like in the grand scheme, minor, and your parents still love you. But we think that going somewhere else is going to be better, and, and so maybe as a kid, you get your backpack, and you put your stuffed animal in there, and that's the first sign that you should not run away from home when you're putting a stuffed animal and a blankie in your backpack, and, you know, uh, fruit snacks, and, you know, water, and, you know, all this stuff, and you're running away. But here's the thing kids don't usually think about. So, It may not be perfect where I'm at, but how's it going to be where I'm going, okay? So the park's nice as long as it's light out, and then it gets dark, and the treehouse is fine, although it's still in the yard, so you're not really going anywhere, and Minnesota's cold in the winter, and you could go to the friend's house, but do his parents know that you're coming over, you know? The honest truth is, home may not be perfect, but it's better than where I'd be going. I want you to know, following Jesus this side of heaven 
will not be perfect. And if your life isn't perfect, it doesn't mean Jesus isn't with you. It just means he doesn't always give us exactly that which we desire or want. But I also want you to know, like Peter so eloquently said, that Jesus has the words of eternal life and he has that which we need the most. There is nothing better than being with Jesus. Our fourth fill in, it's kind of our application because I want you through this series and this message specifically to follow more confidently. Life is better when you learn to let go and simply follow and trust and know that God cares for you immensely. Your temporal needs, your eternal needs, he will prioritize your eternal needs first, and I'm sure glad he does. But he's in it all and with you all the time. So let go. Quit white-knuckling through life and follow because he is the bread of life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this miracle that... uh, you did 2,000 years ago and that you allowed John to record for our benefit 2,000 years later. You know, Lord, you know our hearts and, and you know that at times we struggle with trying to make sense of what you're up to. Could it be that we weren't intended to make sense of everything you do? That that's not our role? That that's not our job? And Lord, could you just guide us to just trust to know that when you're driving the vehicle, we're going to be just fine. Thank you for all of your blessings and help us to see them more clearly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.